Hi, I'm Dave Merlino. I'm Dustin Sweet, and this is the Know Their Story podcast. We talk to veterans about their time in service, returning home from war, and transitioning out of the military. Hopefully along the way, we'll inspire you to do the same with a veteran in your life. Because sometimes all it takes to make the world a better place is sitting down with a friend to know their story. Okay, here we are, episode four. Um, for those watching on YouTube, I'm not going to do the hack reveal today because you can't read it, so that don't matter. Uh, I'm Dave Merlino. With me, as always, is my co-director and partner in crime, Dustin Sweet. Howdy, Say hi, Dustin. Say hi again. Hi. Can you hear me? Is the mic working? Is this happening? Uh, it's working okay. I believe we will be trying new mics in the future. <laughs> such is such is the fun of starting a new podcast. Uh, exciting day for us. Uh, our fourth podcast. Uh, we are branching outside of the documentary, which has always been our goal to open this up. Um, the podcast hopefully will live long beyond the documentary. Uh, with us today, uh, gentleman who was in Vietnam, uh, 1969 to 70, served as a radio telephone operator uh, with the Blues as well. Um, after uh, returning home from Vietnam, successfully returning home, um, also dispelling the myth that radio telephone operators had a five-second life expectancy. Um, he uh, returned home to Oklahoma where he served as an electrical lineman um, and supervisor for 42 years and is now happily retired. Uh, we're talking with Mr. Paul McCord. Thank you for joining us, Paul. Well, good to be here. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. No problem. And, uh, you know, that's, we're all kind of learning. We don't, we don't have the uh, documentary experience to, to fall back on in uh, this interview. So please be gentle. Yeah, don't hurt our feelings too bad. <laughs> okay. Okay. So. Hey, um, uh, I'll, I'll get it started if you're ready for it, Dave. Paul, I, I, uh, I want to jump right in. How'd you end up in Apache Troop? How'd you get to Well, I'll tell you, how I got into the Army, I was uh, uh, graduated from my high school in Sharon, Oklahoma, was seven in my graduating class high school graduating class, and uh, went to college, uh, spent some time in college, and still had this high school sweetheart I kept running home to see, and and she, uh, uh, I asked her to marry me one weekend when I went home, and she says, uh, I don't marry anybody who doesn't have a job. So uh, I got a job with uh, Northwestern Electric, started out with uh, electrical utility, uh, electric cooperative, and uh, of course, then we had a child, and that meant I was not didn't have any deferments anymore because I'd used that college deferment, and, and I got drafted. And uh, when it went to Fort Polk, Louisiana, on to, uh, to infantry training in, in July 1969, arrived in Vietnam and Ben Wong. Spent a little time, like Jim Braun said last week, uh, kind of hanging out in Ben Wong because they didn't know what to do with me, and, and uh, finally... Uh, one day they said, you're going to the A Troop 1st and ninth, and uh, there I was. Uh, ended up in Tain Inn. Just kind of keeping your head down. You weren't exactly going up to uh, your bosses and saying, I, I think you forgot to send me yeah. forward. 
Yeah, I, we, we called it holdover or whatever. I was three or four days extra there. Everybody had kind of shipped out. And, and uh, when I arrived in Tainan, of course, there was a bunch of guys that arrived about the same time as me. And most of them, you've, some of them you've talked to already in the podcast. But. Yeah. And so did you immediately, did they look at you and say, you look like you want to carry a radio on your back or, or how did you fall into that? I don't know exactly how that happened, but when I, when I got the radio, I thought at least I won't have to walk point. Come to find out the radio guy went every place with them. So uh, uh, it was, it was, uh, they always had to have a radio person with them. So anyway, it, maybe it'd been better to walk point occasionally. <laughs> Did you ever have a point where you, you kind of felt like you had some nice cover going on and, and then the lieutenant got up to move and you're like, oh, guess I got to go with them. Yes. Yes. There was a, yeah. I, I remember Qualley uh, one time said there was, they sent five of us out to kind of just, uh, they had some stuff we needed to look at and they just stopped these five guys and Qualley said, you're the radio guy, you're going with us. And of course, it uh, turned out to be a little more than just, but anyway, we made it back just fine, but we had to jump out in water and I asked Qualley, I said, how did we know that wasn't uh, deep? And he said, we didn't. <laughs> so it's about knee deep water, but anyway. Yeah. And actually, you know, we were just talking before I turned it on just for my education on radio telephone operators and, and a kind of, it, it, it opens me up to a line of questioning that I want to ask you about combat that I think um, maybe the audience, the, for those who haven't been in the military, don't realize, and, and I'll get to this, but as a radio telephone operator, not everyone was talking to the helicopters like Jim was talking about last week. Um, you, you, and stop me if I'm oversimplifying this, but you actually, in a platoon, have four or five radios. so. You, you guys were consolidating the information, sending it to the RTO with the lieutenant so that person could kind of funnel all the information together and send it up. And why I want to ask this is because I think when people think, oh, 21 of you in a platoon get in a fight, you can all see each other. But battlefields, engagements spread out, don't they? Like, would you even be able to see anyone, everyone? Or what's it? No, like? not. No, not at all, but I was kind of the squad RTO as, as uh, I mean, the, I talked to all the squads. I was, I was with Lieutenant Qualley mostly, and I talked to the squads. I never did talk to the helicopters. Occasionally that would have to change a little bit, but not very often. But so we, he had to coordinate the squads where they was and moving. And, you know, we had four or five, six guys in each squad, and they each had a radio not each had a radio. There's one radio per squad. So there was quite a few radios out there, but you never could see everybody. No. Yeah. What is the, what is the phrase that everyone has a plan until that first bullet flies? Yes. And then it just, it does spread out and become for lack of a better word, chaos. And it's all flowing through you. Right. Yes. And it was, uh, yes. And it, and, of course, sometimes Quali just took it and took it himself. And however, I mean, I say Quali, blue, whoever was blue at the time. All right. And <laughs> I don't know why this popped into my head because it's not like today where everything was wireless, like that phone was actually connected to your back. Did he ever go to move and, and 
the court kind of yanking back because you didn't know he was moving? Yeah, there was there was a time or two you uh, you followed the cord for sure, but uh, there was a time or two you were moving in a hurry. Dustin, go ahead. I know you um, look like you have a question. I don't. I'm just I'm just happy to hear anything about uh, about his time out. What while you were uh, while you're in the blues, did you do you rotate uh, into into the talk after a while, or did you? Did you yeah, yes, I did. I I rotated into the talk. I I, I was uh, married and had a child when I got drafted. Right. So uh, I, I th think somebody kind of knew that and uh, helped me out a little bit after you know. So uh, when I come back from R and R, I remember telling my wife when I come back, we met in Hawaii and. First of March, and I remember telling her I'm gonna, I'm going to be out of the field. I'll be in a talk. But uh, so that's so I spent my last four four and a half months in the in a talk. All right. So doing some math here on your R, you went on R and R March first. Does that mean you were in the talk on March 19th when these guys say they should have yes, died? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Were you communicating with them or like what was no, that? No, I, I was communicating with uh, helicopters. Uh, but I knew everything that was going on. Uh, that was uh, tough. You want to be there, but you're glad you're not, if you know what I mean. Because uh, your friends, your buddies are all there. And, uh, but yeah, I remember that very, very well. Yeah, I mean, I can see, I mean, I, I, I'm forming this because I don't want to put words in your mouth. But like you're saying, like you want to be there for your friends, but you're, really happy that you're not out there you know because that was a, a wild day for for those listening uh we've talked to some of the members of the blues march 19th was when a platoon of them about and i think there's about 20 ran into um a battalion size element of nva um hundreds of nva and they will all tell you that they they should have all died that day um on march 19th 1970 um do you, like after that's all over, um, how do you process all those emotions that you had about that day? Well, you know, I first of all, I remember meeting them at the flight line when they come in, you know, uh, it's happy to see them, but, but honestly, we didn't talk much about it after we come in that I remember. It was a, a job they done, we did, and uh, we was back and, you know, a few didn't come in that night, but, uh, uh, but anyway, it was, uh, I remember beating them out there and just be glad to see them. I didn't run over and hug anybody, but I was just glad to see them all. Yeah, and then you got to see what, uh, what the next day brings, huh? That's right. Um, and, and then, so to backtrack that, though, for you, you know, this is a question that we've asked everyone, so I don't think you'll be surprised by it. Do you remember the first time, that, that first day you were in combat and the, and the first first rounds flew in anger that day. Um, yes, I do. Yes, I do. First of all, I, I think I wanted to make that first contact because I wanted to see how I'd react. You know, we were trained, we got infantry training and honestly, I didn't want to make any more after that one, but, <laughs> but uh, I remember it uh, pretty well. And we had a guy injured that day, uh, my, one of our M60 guys, and he never he never come back. He was a chest wound. So, uh, but uh, I thought we're in war. This is real. This is a real thing. 
you know, and wondered why I ever thought I wanted to make contact. But it just one of those deals you're trained, you want to do it, you see how you react. Well, and that actually that leads to an interesting question. I, you know, all the time we've been talking to veterans, it's never occurred to me. Um, like you obviously knew at some point it was going to happen. Like there's no way you were going to go through a year in Vietnam without, especially in Apache troop, without having enemy contact. Is it just a, does it become a nervousness thing? Like, can we just get this over with? Like, I know it's going to happen. I just want, like, I'm tired of, of wondering if this is the day or, I don't know if I really actually had those thoughts. I, I, the first contact I remember come pretty early and going to the field. I don't know if it may have been my first time out. I don't, it, it may not have been, I can't remember that, but it was pretty early. So uh, I just knew that it was going to happen. And I yeah. wanted to know how I was going to react. If I was going to turn around and run, you know, <laughs> if I was going to crawl under a rock some place and do nothing but uh, I found that I guess I reacted like I was supposed to. Yeah, and would you say again trying not to I, I always try to make sure I'm not I mean this is an honest question I try to make sure I'm not sounding flip about this because it's not like um, and I never want to sound like you know this became a routine that you got used to but getting that contact out of the way, finding out that you knew how you were going to react. Did that quell your nerves a little? Obviously you're never like, Oh, com combat, no problem. Like bring it on. But did that, did, did something change in you that, that day? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, kind of, I knew I could handle it. I didn't want to do it anymore probably, <laughs> but I knew I could handle it. And, uh, we, I knew, I knew I was with a bunch of guys that could take care of me is, is also a big deal that, uh, you know, was the first time out, didn't know many people real well at the time. And, and, uh, I knew those helicopters above me would take care of me. And, uh, we had a bonus, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, so, so it did give you that, uh, little more confidence. When you went out, you, you almost knew I'm, I'm coming home, you know, but uh, didn't always happen that way. But. Dustin? A lot of, um, a lot of guys have really, uh, I mean, there's a lot of harrowing combat stories, right? Um, do you have any, did you have any fun? Do you have any, like, fun memories of being in country? Oh, yeah, yeah, and... Uh, one time we, uh, I think it was Hughley, Jack Hughley was our blue and, and uh, we just went out on a mission that three Vietnamese on bicycles were in an area they should not be. And they wanted us to go pick them up and question them. Of course, I guess we'd call them POWs, but uh, uh, so we, five of us went out and, and I know Jack was one of those Jack, uh, blue uh, and uh, we loaded them in the helicopter, sit, just sit down beside them on the road, no deal, made sure they didn't have weapons, uh, loaded them in the helicopter, and one of them was kind of screaming and thought, I thought he wanted his bike. They was on bicycles, so I picked his bicycle up and threw it in the helicopter. When I got it in, I realized there was something on it that was uh, moving and uh, thought, oh, we're in trouble. 
So I throw it out and between me and my M16, uh, we actually destroyed this fish that he just caught. And uh, so we, uh, so he, he didn't have dinner that night. But, but anyway, uh, uh, that was kind of, when you look back, it was kind of funny and he's probably sitting back and saying some GIs destroyed his dinner, but anyway. Uh, we, we, we like to call them people of interest when we had someone yes. who needed to question. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, you know, we, we've, along that line, um, we've talked about being in combat and, and that there was a change in you, um, kind of transitioning forward to, to kind of the main part of what our podcast is about. It's more about the return home. Um, would you say, or how, I mean, this is an easier question. How would you say you were different upon returning home or did you feel you were different than the Paul well, who went to war? I, I don't, you know, I, I didn't really have a lot of trouble. I, uh, I come back to Fort Carson, Colorado, uh, for six, six, seven months and uh, had a chance to, to kind of get my, shove all that stuff in the back of my mind. Believe it or not, we didn't even talk about the war. Uh, you know, we knew we was Vietnam veterans. I, I done something different than somebody else. They done something different than me. And we didn't, I don't remember telling any stories. Uh, we just didn't talk about it. We weren't supposed to, we, nobody wanted to hear it and nobody wanted to talk about it. So, uh, when I come home, uh, I come home 21st February and went back to work, 8th March. Uh, I had a wife and two kids. I had a, I had a daughter born when I was in uh, Fort Carson. So I had a wife and two kids. I needed to get back to work. And honestly, I just shoved everything in the back of my brain. And, and uh, oh, you know, the guys I worked with knew I was a veteran. They knew I'd been to Vietnam. I might have told them a funny story or two, maybe about shooting a fish. But, but uh, uh, I have not told any stories until I got re- Till I got back with the blues in these last four or five years. Wow. Uh, what, what's that experience been like for you? Just, just talking about it for the first time in, you know, 40 years. Well, that's, that's, uh, I'll tell you what, you guys helped me do that. If, whether you know it or not, I was just looking at Facebook one day and, and, uh, seen Apache blues, I believe it's soldiers unknown. Yeah. Come up on that Facebook. Name, yeah. And, and, uh, and, uh, I just kind of freaked out. I told my wife, I says, there's 25 people that know who the Apache Blues are, and I'm one of them. So I kind of scrolled down through that on Facebook, and there was my picture with a group, even my name under it, and I, I clicked like on it. As soon as I click like, I get a message from a guy by the name of Richard DeValley. I had no idea who I was talking to. We went back and forth a little bit. I knew we was together. I knew from the conversation. Uh, so I went the CBS video and looked it up and said, Dr. Byer, oh, so I called him, said, are you doc? He said, yeah. And I first thing I said to him is I thought you were dead. And uh, he said, oh, I'm not. And uh, that's where it started. He sent me the stuff, the reunion in Washington, DC and the best thing that happened to me. Yeah. I, in a long, long time. I get and, emotional thinking about it. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we met you at that reunion. That was our first reunion that we'd ever been to. And, you know, we all went to the wall together. You were with us when we went. Uh, yes. You're actually in the movie in the background when we went to yes. the wall. And I had no idea that was your first reunion. Like, 
I thought you got you had been in contact with these guys forever. It wasn't until a year later when you told me that that was your first, and you told me that story, and of how it was just I had chosen a picture at random because we needed a post that day, and you happened to be in it. And I'll admit that that was kind of one of those weird um, moments for me when I realized that this is way bigger than just making this movie that that just that one small thing that I did one day had such an impact that it was kind of a it's kind of a mind trip really in a good way and I really cherished that story but it was yeah I remember when you told me that I was just like Washington DC was a Washington DC and, and as a tough electric lineman I don't like to admit I cried but I, I'd go to my room at night and, and it was emotional because I've seen these guys, uh, Sanchez and Quali, the last time I seen them was they were speaking up out of the jungle, you know, and, and uh, 47 years later, I was in Washington, D.C. with them. And so going to the wall with the group was emotional, but it was also very healing. You uh, just fell in like you hadn't lost any time at all. I, that's I'm, what my wife said. She said, you found your family, uh, your new family. And, and she, she, she's, she says, I'm hearing more about you than I've heard in the 50 years we've been married. And uh, so uh, she said, I want you to tell stories when you go home. I want your grandsons to know what you've done. And uh, did you? And so we have, uh, I've been open. I've freely, I've even got, I've even been a speaker to Veterans Day ceremony since I've been, since all of this has happened. And so it's, uh, it's, been, it's the best thing that happened to me as far as military. And I do got a family. We talk back and forth now. We, call and and uh, December 5th I called Joey I called Gary uh, well, you know I was one of the front four in that and the only one not hit and uh, so and I had no idea you were in that at all That's yeah yeah I, I was uh, uh, not to tell war stories but uh, Tim was the point man then Joey then me then then lieutenant Quali. I had a lot of guilt about that when I got back I I come out of that, uh, I was the tallest guy with a radio on my back and I come out of it without a scratch. Well, on that, uh, you, you did an excellent job of anticipating my question. Um, it is, you know, we've talked to um, Tony Cortez about you know, how he was in sitting right next to Doc and, or not to, next to Ed Beal and I believe Craig one day and they both got, um, Ed got grazed by a bullet right across his head and uh, Tony's sitting two feet from him and, and, you know, didn't get a scratch. And it is, you know, it is definitely the way the dice kind of fell at some point. Um, it, you know, you, it, is that some, when you say you've, you've felt a lot of guilt, was that just in kind of in the immediate aftermath of that day or, or throughout no, the year? No, I, that's the only thing I felt when I come home really was I didn't, didn't want to talk about the war, didn't do none of that, but I felt guilt because lost people had people hurt and it, I had some pretty close calls. I come home with a few medals and no purple hearts, which is, uh, you're like the only guy in a troop. <laughs> Tony didn't yeah. get one. Well, on the other hand, you look at someone like Craig who received three purple hearts and people joke that it's just cause he didn't know how to duck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who has a point man with three purple hearts? Huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, at some point you got to put him in the back, right? 
<laughs> That's right. Um, and the 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 talk about the reunion is, is a fascinating thing, but I actually am going to pivot because uh, there is one other person who is there that we want to. I'm going to save the 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 general reunion discussion for hopefully for another episode. But you mentioned you did your training at Fort Polk, and I'm going to transition to that because. One year after that, we actually went to Fort Polk with you to the Tigerland training grounds, back to where you guys would train for a Vietnam reenactment ceremony. And I bring this up because when we first met our original core group of guys, we talked to them about going there. And it was absolutely not. No way I would ever do that. No way I would ever go back to Fort Polk. I'm not going to face that. Never going to do it. A year later, it was kind of like, well... I don't think I could do that. Two years in, I got a call from Doc saying, we're going to Fort Polk and we want you to come with us. And so Dustin and I said, all right, I guess we're going back to Louisiana in the summer. <laughs> um, but you were one of the, the, the veterans that, I, there was four, four of you who went. Um, what was that like to be coming back into the Tiger Island training ground almost 50 years after you had been there to go to Vietnam? And not only that, not only going back, but watching reenactments with people dressed in, and, and we'll get into the reenacting in a second, but just that initial driving up the path into there. Can I, can I back up just a little bit? Absolutely. In 89, I did go to reunion of, uh, I think it was the second one they ever had in Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, I did not want to go. My wife thought I ought to go. She bought me a ticket and went. I was not, I didn't enjoy it. I, I did not enjoy it. I didn't want to go back. I honestly, there were some people there I enjoyed seeing. I think Dwayne was there. I think Tony was there. I think Ed was there. Uh, and Paul Ingebrigtsen was there. Uh, but I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to talk. So I just forgot it. Went on. And that's when then this other one come back. So I just about didn't go to Washington, D.C. because of that. Uh, my grandson, my oldest, one of my grandsons said, uh, you told us uh, never to live with regrets. If you don't go, you're going to regret it. So I went, was glad I went. Uh, Louisiana was just about the same way. I didn't know. what I, I, When I left Fort Polk, I said, I'm never coming back. <laughs> but, uh, again, it's one of those deals that uh, – almost had to force myself to go, even though I knew who was going to be there. And, and, and I missed Dwayne in, in, uh, in uh, Washington, DC. He didn't get to go to Washington, DC. So I knew Dwayne was going to be there. I wanted to see Dwayne. And, and uh, so had a great time there. So I was glad we went and it was uh, easier than I thought to go back to Fort Polk. And so actually getting into, we'll, we'll get into more of the, the specifics of that trip. Um, we actually, you know, met the, through Daryl and Julie Price, who run the Tigerland reenactment. Um, the first time I met him, I was like, war reenactors, like how, how does that fit into our documentary? Um, you know, people, I, I, I'm sure there is someone listening right now saying those guys who run around and pretend that they're in Vietnam. And after talking to them, it's actually a very serious deal that they take to be a living history to the reason that they go to Tigerland is because they do the trail of honor where people can walk down and you know starting at the revolutionary war they talk to someone in full and they talk in the 
you know, in the first, as if they were the soldier there and they want to make sure that they're getting it right. So keep that because Vietnam's not taught in school anymore. You know, it's just, it's not, it, it didn't happen in the eyes of the school curriculum. So as the veteran going in and seeing what they're doing and seeing what they're trying to keep alive, um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, going there, I thought we were just going to see a bunch of wannabes. You know what I mean? Uh, and I, I don't think any four of us were really wanting, we was glad to get to be together, but I don't know if we was really actually wanting to go to the site. Uh, you know, it was one of those deals. Yeah, yeah, we'll go. And so, uh, but found out that they, this is something that we need. Like I said before, uh, after, after being with the guys that are doing it, uh, they want everything accurate. They treated us like royalty, but they wanted to know what all we done. They wanted to make sure they were accurate. And, uh, and uh, after that, I, like I said, one other time told you that I think we got to remember history to move forward and, and keep that history alive. And that's what they're doing. They're keeping our war alive and uh, letting people learn about it. And, and so uh, I was pretty pleased with, with the way all that went. And, and Daryl and Julia have become friends. Yeah, they're, they're, great. they're good people. I'm sure they're watching right now. Um, I do remember that on our last day there, they were all asking you guys for your autographs as autographs of Vietnam War veterans. And I thought to myself, that is not something I ever thought I would see. Uh, and it was it was a good moment. It was a humbling moment, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and and it was fun to watch people get asked for autographs who'd never been asked before. That was uh, the first time I was ever asked for an autograph. Believe it or not, was not connected to movies. It was when I was 20 years old and riding my bike across the southern U.S., which is this my 25th anniversary of that. We were in a town called Sanderson, Texas. So the whole town came out, and they had our our poster for the trip and some of the grade school kids came up and not just signed but they're like can I have your autograph on the sign and I was like I'm some 20 year old kid taking a semester off from college to ride my bike but I was outwardly I was like I would love to give you your autograph what's your name and I felt like such an imposter doing it but it was pretty fun and I saw that kind of on your guys' faces too like well, you want my autograph yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and they, they was, yeah, and they was, what was impressive is they was wanting to do what they was doing right. And uh, they asked us a ton of questions and, and, uh, you know, how did you carry your radio? What did you do? You know, and, and uh, it was, uh, it was a fun time. Yeah. And like they said, it's one thing to say, oh, the radio was so heavy and it was so hot, but they go out there in June and carry the radio in that hundred degree heat because it is. For those who don't know, Fort Polk and Tigerland was chosen as the training ground because it's the climate that in the U.S. that most resembles Vietnam and the humidity and everything of what you guys would go through. Um, so that's why they do it. Like, it's one thing to say, oh, it was really hot there. It's another thing that carried that radio all day yes. through, through the bushes. And it is a rattlesnake estuary, which we didn't tell you guys about before. Um, so you, you do have to wonder about snakes, too, just like you guys did in Vietnam. <laughs> Dustin, sorry, yeah, go. I, I'm wondering, uh, having been a radio operator and then and then working in the telecom industry for the rest of your life, how how has it been watching cell phones come up 
has that been fun or how, how have say you enjoyed again, that part? Now, say again, Dustin, I didn't quite understand it. I said, how, um, how well have you enjoyed watching cell phones come of age? Oh, well, I was, I was uh, in electrical part of the industry. I, I provided electricity for, but, uh, cell phones, I, so I wasn't with the phone company. I was with electric company, but, uh, right. well, but that's, back, right? that's been unbelievable. I'm just glad people didn't have phones in their uh, cameras in their pocket when I was growing up, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's been unbelievable. And, and, uh, to see the technology being, just being able to do what we're doing right now is, is, uh, amazing to me so well and we had the talk with general funk at the last reunion about if only there were drones in vietnam do you ever look at the technology today and say man we had that then i had the opportunity a few years ago to go to camp grubert's in oklahoma with the national guard training we had an employee that uh, they wanted some of his supervisors to come and they were just getting ready to ship them and and uh, it was quite different than the training we've been through. The weaponry was quite different, and it was a great opportunity to get to go do that. And, and that actually does transition really well um, to our, our next kind of phase of what we like to talk about. You know, as a Vietnam veteran, you have a 50-year head start on returning home, and it's, it's a, a wild roller coaster of 50 years with, you know, how Vietnam was not talked about for decades and, and knowing what it's not like to not talk about it to, you know, as you said, you've been to your reunion and, and really felt what it was like, you know, to talk about it. If there's a veteran out there listening, or if you had a chance to, to tell a veteran returning home, uh, what advice as someone who's been through this, what advice would you give them? And that, and that is some advice I learned talk about it. You know, I come home to uh, be electrical lineman and uh, it was kind of a dangerous job. So I shoved all this Vietnam stuff in the back of my head because I had to concentrate on work and uh, raise a family. But uh, I'd have been better off talking to, uh, you know, my, I got a great wife, 52 years of marriage this year. Uh, uh, but uh, I never even talked to her about it. Uh, I had some triggers, uh, you know, that would set things off once in a while. Uh, Never had a lot of problems, but I did uh, have some problems. I never have seek any kind of help uh, with it. I've always kind of worked through that. But uh, they, you've got to talk. And 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 as as I had to have an opportunity now to talk to some veterans, that's what I want to hear their stories. I don't care if it's in combat uh, or not. I I just think that person that served their country needs to talk about their stories and. Everybody that put a uniform on and served their country to me is, is I just done a job that was assigned to me. You know, uh, other people have different jobs assigned to them. I, I, I had a job assigned to me as an infantry soldier, and, and I just done my job, and that's all I did. Yeah, and that's an interesting point. We were actually talking with our producer uh, this morning um, about branching out the podcast and and it reminds me, I read a, a story a long time ago from one of the Donut Dollies, the, the Red Cross uh, girls who would be there on base. And obviously, they never went into combat, you know, but one of the Donut Dollies was saying that she had 
made really good friends with one of the one of the guys who was there and he went out on a mission and he didn't come back one day and it really hardened her heart so to say like she just was afraid to make friends after that because she was afraid that she would have another friend die and that's something that's stuck with and so it is you know being deployed to a war zone you don't have to be infantry to to taste that experience of war and and, and that is a really good point that everyone needs to tell their story, not just the point man or, or the person out there. You know, you know, my dad was a World War II veteran. His brothers, all three, all four of them uh, were in World War II at the same time, uh, which is to me in the story, those are the heroes. My, my mother's brothers were all three at the same time. But, that, but I don't remember him ever talking about it. My dad was a medic. I don't remember him ever talking about it, you know, just that I was a medic. Uh, he was a conscientious objector. He didn't carry a gun, but he was a medic. And so, uh, uh, and, and my son was uh, in the Navy and he went through a time that, you know, dad, you was in a war. I've never seen a war. And I said, son, you served your country. You've done the job that was assigned to you and you did it. And that's all I did. Basically all I did, the job that was assigned to me. Yeah, so, and there's nothing wrong with not being at war. <laughs> yeah. No, nothing wrong with it. No. no. And actually, that reminds me, we've asked every veteran so far, um, are you Paul McCord, the one who declared war on Vietnam? We're trying to find the person, the, the soldier, because obviously, you know, people seem to blame the soldiers. Are you the one who declared war on Vietnam? Uh, no, I, I don't remember doing that if I did, but I, I, I'm pretty sure I did not. I, I'd like to think you'd remember that, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Dustin? Uh, Paul, what's it, um, how has it enriched your family life to be able to talk about uh, these past times? Has it, has it made the rest of your day-to-day um, -day interactions smoother? Yeah, being, being able to freely talk about it is, is really been good for me. I, I, I can't say my family looks at me different, but uh, they never heard any stories. My wife, when I never forget the first day in Washington, D.C., she got back to the room and she says, you've never said anything like this. Never. And uh, my son, my grandson and his uh, uh, senior uh, from college, his, uh, some essay he had to write, uh, had to write about American Hero and he interviewed me which uh, puts a lump in my throat thinking about it. But uh, so I got to write some stories down and, uh, you know, or he wrote some stories down and, and uh, got a real good review on his deal. And, and uh, you know, so those stories, so it's been good. It's really been good. Telling the stories, I found out it's important. As I talk to veterans, I say, you got to tell your stories. Don't keep them to you. Somebody's going to listen. Uh, we, we thought nobody would listen is uh, why we didn't tell them and nobody cared but i but there's people that listen now especially as we've got this age 50 years later yeah and i think that is you know we've said it a couple times before talking with veterans is not not about solving problems it's just about listening just the fact that you would like to listen to their story is enough and, and I've said it plenty of times on this podcast it's not one one talk and 
you know, good to go. Yay, we solved that. It is just being there and listen. And that's really all that's needed. Um, unless, unless you want to counteract me, uh, Paul. No, no, just, just listening. And, you know, uh, that, that's important. Just, it, it makes a veteran feel good that somebody will listen because we, nobody ever wanted to listen. We didn't think anybody ever wanted to listen. Matter of fact, you know, back in the seventies, when I come home, the Vietnam veteran was a crazy guy, you know, that, uh, it had that reputation. So you didn't tell people you was a Vietnam veteran. And uh, now I freely tell people I'm a Vietnam veteran and, and, uh, and it causes a lot, it starts a lot of conversation. Yeah. And uh, the, the crazy Vietnam veteran trope in Hollywood didn't really help that either. You know, TV. Uh, and if you look at some old TV reruns, you'll see that, that there's some you know, crazy, we had that reputation. Uh, and actually, this is, a, this is a question we haven't asked for a long time. Um, so we're going to break it out for you. Do you watch war movies or um, are you able to watch them? Do you watch them with a grain of salt and say that's like, what are your reactions? I don't watch, I don't watch war movies. I don't, I tried and, and I just don't do it. I don't enjoy them. I don't hunt. I don't even own a gun. Uh, it's not that I don't like to shoot. I don't like people beside me with guns. And uh, that I tried hunting when I come home. My family's all rural. They love to hunt. And uh, I just, no matter how good they were, I did not like people walking beside me with guns. It just put a fear in me. So I don't do that. I don't watch horror movies. And, uh, and a lot of it was the first some, couple ones I watched were just so phony. And uh, I just thought, I, I'm not even, I don't even watch Civil War movies. I don't watch any, any of that. Yeah, and that's that's a very common um, answer that we've gotten. Um, uh, so you are you are don't feel like you're in the minority there with that answer. That's a very common answer to war movies and and to hunting and guns. Since I've I can't count how many veterans I've talked to so they've never wanted to hold a gun again since returning home. So yeah, I'll admit I tried it. You know, tried some quail hunting, tried some dove hunting, uh, wanted to get back into that, uh, but I just don't enjoy it. And now you do all your hunting at the grocery store? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, why hunt when you can go to the grocery store and get it? Yeah. yeah. As an aside, that reminds me, my daughters are 13 now, but I think when they're about six or seven, I've had one daughter who's very, she's a very sensitive soul, and I love that about her. I'm not making fun of this but she's always kind of skirted around like wondering when she's going to try vegetarian because of don't hurt the animals. And so we're at the store one day and she was like, I don't understand why people would kill animals. You shouldn't kill them. And so I looked at her and it's like, well, should I put this chicken back then? Should I not buy the chicken? And she looked at me, matter of fact, no, that one's already dead. So might as well keep it. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right, good. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, well, us people that eat meat, we're kind of saving the grass for the vegetarians. So we're, we're pulling that beef off the grass and, and uh, they can have the grass and we'll eat the beef. Everyone does their part. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's uh, all of my questions that, that I went into it thinking about. Dustin, how are you doing? Those are, uh, he's answered everything I've asked him about. Uh, Paul, I, got, I got nothing else, Paul. Is there anything you want to ask us? 
So, no, I just uh, want to thank you guys for doing this. You, uh, you've helped a lot of veterans heal. Watching your uh, documentary in, in uh, was it in Kansas City, I guess, uh, made me realize that uh, we all had the same problems. You know, uh, we each have us, you know, when you think your problem's just yours, uh, sit and listen to the guys talk about guys I served with that I had no idea struggled when they got home, you know, and uh, so that's been really good to me. Uh, and so it's, it's been good. I've, I've started a lot of things with veterans now. I even do a veterans Bible study, a Bible study for veterans at, at, cool. with, with associated with the church. And uh, that's been good. Uh, so uh, it's, it's, all of it's helped me a lot uh, to talk, to, uh, to be with people that I've served with. And uh, it's, it's just been great. It's been the best thing that happened to me and it hit me a perfect time, retirement, you know, and, and uh, so, and that's kind of when, when it's, when it, when some of the PS, PTS started coming back is after I slowed down and, and, uh, you know, the job wasn't a priority and, and uh, I mean, I'm through with the job and now I got other things to think about and all of that stuff started coming back. And uh, so it's, well, it's been very good, very good. And that's been a common refrain that we've actually heard. I wrote a study saying that Vietnam vet, like you said, you were, you are at work within a few weeks of returning home and nose to the grindstone. Um, and they're noticing a lot of Vietnam veterans did that. And now in retirement, nothing to put your nose to the grindstone to and finding out you just kind of delayed the bill, quote unquote, for a while. Um, and, and for people who caught it, there's probably someone out there saying, wait, he's seen the movie. Um, yes, there is a finished cut of the movie finished as of right now, we will be changing it. There's some more filming to do. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that, that you had that, that comment, that it made you realize that you weren't alone, because that's how we are trying to, to frame this movie, um, to let people know that this is a common thing and it is okay to feel this. And I think people do look at Apache Troop, um, and you guys were in combat so much and out there that they, they other veterans who are in Vietnam, who know what Apache Troop are, when they look at you guys and say, wow, okay, these guys are saying it's okay. It is, it is okay. And, and that's why we thank you for coming on the podcast for you to get on here and talk about this and let other people know that yes, this is, this is a normal thing. Uh, we, we truly thank you for being willing to do this. Well, and thank you. And, and I would just want to say one more thing. We, we couldn't have done it ourselves. We had, uh, helicopters over our heads. We had, I mean, we was all a team. I couldn't have, uh, I served with the greatest soldiers that I could have served with. And, uh, and you've met some of those soldiers and, and they were very, very good soldiers. I was, I was blessed and fortunate. And, and the reason I got to come home is, uh, is, uh, I served with some great, great guys and proud, proud that I served with them. I, I'm sure it was a great feeling to be in massive contact and hear the Cobra say, all right, I'm beginning my run. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So shout out to the Cobra pilots and the gunship yes. pilots. Yes. Yeah. I did nothing better than being in contact and seeing that, that, that scout, that loach come over the door gunner hanging out and that loach come right over top of them trees and you're thinking, yeah. And, and shout us. out to the left pilots for coming to get you guys and bring you home. Yes, <laughs> the best sound was, uh, yeah, 
the Hueys coming in. And, and you know, when you got back to the base camp, there were people there that was taking care of me when you got back. We, everybody done their job that was assigned, and, and uh, we didn't have to tell anybody what to do. We done it, and, uh, and it made us uh, work together good as a team. We're now brothers and, uh, and the best friends I have right now. Excellent. Um, well, again, thank you for coming on to do this. 100% uh, appreciate you. You know, we, like we've told the other guys, willing to trust us with the story. Um, you, you have an extra step of, we haven't talked to you this in depth before, and you still trusted us even after meeting us. <laughs> um, <laughs> You've been listening to the Know Their Story podcast. If you made it this far, we must be doing something right. Let us know by subscribing to our channel. And think about sitting down with the veterans in your life, because saying thank you for your service should be the beginning of the conversation, not the end.